Hello and welcome to today's podcast and I'm joined by Lloyd Booker who is the President and Pastoral Minister of the Caribbean Catholic Chaplaincy. Now we're going to talk about all sorts really, migration, your story when you came over from Guyana. So why don't we start with that? You came over in 1960 didn't you? Yes I did. Tell us a bit about how you felt getting on the boat for that long two-week journey. Well, it was exciting traveling on the boat because um, I never traveled abroad before. And on the boat, you met various people, you know, my fellow Caribbean people from Trinidad, from Guyana. And we also had some Italians and Spanish from Venezuela traveling with us. It was exciting. So only the food wasn't up to what we loved and normally eat. And does anything prepare you for that? Were you expecting the food to be different or did you not really just think about it? Well, I didn't think about it. You know, I I, I never knew you had um, sort of chips and mashed potatoes, you know. I thought everybody had rice as as we normally have it Mm. and and, and chicken and curry and so on. But it was different. They had roast chicken. But some of our guys went into the kitchen and started cooking for the Caribbean people, you see. Ah, yeah. So we can have um, what we were accustomed to. Yeah. And how old were you at the time? I was 23. So, therefore, traveling alone, were you? I was traveling alone. I was fairly mature. I lived away from home for about four years. I was working away from home. That's interesting, because we were just talking off mic, and I realized that my mother-in-law traveled from St. Lucia on an Italian-owned vessel, the Escania, hers, Mm. in 1960 as well. So, many thousands coming over from the Caribbean at that time, weren't there? Yes, there were. And tell me a little bit about that journey then, two weeks. How how were you feeling? I mean, was it a case of just getting through the journey or were you thinking about a life in the UK at that point? Well, um, coming on a ship, it's, it looked like a holiday. I wasn't thinking about arriving in the UK because the guys there, um, they had the guitars and people had records and, and um, they used to have their own dance sessions in the night. So you weren't missing anything really, you know. And... Uh, We were enjoying that trip. It was when the trip was coming to an end. Then you start thinking about the UK. Yeah. uh, What you're going to encounter. And where did you stop en route? You must have had that big stretch over towards the sort of frontiers of Europe. Well, our first stop was in Tenerife. And from Tenerife, we passed south of France. And then our final stop was in Genoa. Hmm. From there, we traveled across into France by, by train, and we were in Paris for a day, you know, having something to eat, but we didn't get to sightsee anything. From there, we were taken to uh, Calais, and from Calais to, um, to Dover. And tell me about your first experiences as a black man mm-hmm. in the 60s, entering the UK, in terms of how you were treated and how you felt at that time? Well, I met people who were already here and they made things a little bit easier for me. But you were warned um, about uh, racism and how you approach people and so on. And when I started working, you know, it it didn't take me long to get a job because people who knew there and they were wanting other people to work. But there you find some people were being nice in one way and, and being racist in the other. Mm. They're making snide remarks, you know. But I didn't take it on board. I I was able to rise above that. It's funny because when when I do speak to my mother-in-law about those times and, you know, the sort of perception that 
people are coming over and taking jobs and all this sorts of things. She quite often says to me, well, a lot of the jobs were jobs that other people, particularly in the UK, residents in the UK, weren't prepared to take. Is that the case? That is true, especially uh, London Transport and the um, tea houses. You had a lot of black people working there because white people thought that the jobs were beneath them. But I worked first at the Strand Palace Hotel. I was a clerk there, good entrance clerk to call you. And uh, it was good for me because um, I didn't know how to cook. And there you get all your meals every day. You go, you get your breakfast, lunch, and even when you have your days off, because you usually have to work on the weekends, I can go in and, and have your meal and I sightsee. So it was, that was okay for me. Tell us a bit about that sort of integration, particularly with things like church. I presume Guyana was quite, quite a Catholic country at that time. It was more Anglican. Church of England. I was Church of England before I came, became a Catholic. I was young, and uh, I was brought up in a church. I was very church-minded in Guyana when I came here. You went a little bit more to parties as a young person, you see? Hmm. And uh, then eventually, as I grew up, I met Canon Charles Walker. He was the chaplain with the Caribbean chaplaincy, and... He says, come and join me, come and join me, you know, because he himself was Anglican before he, he crossed over into become a Catholic. And that's how I, I became a Catholic. And tell me in those early, in, in the 60s, mm. how quickly were you able to meet up with others from the Caribbean? And as you said, you know, talking about on the ship and the food and the differences, mm. how quickly were you able to sort of enjoy your own culture and bring a bit of that to the UK? While I was working with at the Trans Palace Hotel, there were many Caribbean people there. So we meet, and they have um, functions in their own houses, or rooms or whatever, and uh, they tell you you bring a bottle, and then that's how we enjoy ourselves and do the cooking. You know, one will invite you today and the other invite you tomorrow and make friends and invite you for a meal. And that's how we did it in those times. It was easy if you have a friend, you can visit him, but not like English people, you have to give them notice that you're coming or they invite you. But with us, the invitation is open. The door's open, spur yes. of the moment. Yes. No problem. Yes. So, again, in terms of what you were expecting and what you found, were there issues with the weather? You know, what were your principal challenges, do you think, in the UK? Well, the weather became during the summer. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't bad. But the winter, uh, we weren't accustomed to winter, so you had to get a winter coat. And okay, the, the first winter wasn't too bad either. But then you had to get heaters to heat the room. And sleeping at nights, you know, in a cold room wasn't, wasn't very nice. And in those days, they didn't have central heating. So you had to have paraffin heaters. See, we weren't accustomed to that, so yeah. you had to become accustomed to that as well. And you're telling me that you were used to living in a house back home. Yes. And the accommodation on arrival in those early years was pretty cramped, wasn't it? Yeah, you're living in a room. I had to share a room with another another Guyanese, see? Yeah. Until there's another room empty, then you can get your own room. Tell me, it might be a tricky question, this one, but okay. how long did it take before you felt, you know, properly integrated part of Britain. At what point did you feel British? Well, it's difficult to say. When you 
in Guyana. You told you you're British because you you had a British passport subject. Yeah. And when you come here, they tell you you're not British. You, you're, that must have been confusing. Well, it is. But then finding out you have a British passport, it says you must have passage because you're a subject of the Queen. But then they're telling you, okay, but you're not of the United Kingdom. You don't have citizenship. Now, of course, there was a lot of controversy in April 2018 yes. about the Windrush generation and status and being accepted and, and fully British. Did this sort of echo how you felt right back in the 60s? Well, they didn't have this, this problem at that time because, you know, the legislation wasn't there. Hmm. And what I did is that uh, since the 1970s, early 1970s, I got my naturalization paper, so I didn't have a problem. I looked after that. But how did you feel about perhaps those that travelled on a parent's passport when they were younger, under 18? That must have sort of upset you somewhat to look at having, you know, those wrangles over status when people have lived here for decades. Well, it does. It shows me a kind of a racist attitude. Because in the 80s, we had the same problems under the Thatcher government. What they're saying is... um, People born of Caribbean parents, though you were born over here, you're not British or English. You're of the Caribbean. And they were allowing people born of the old Commonwealth, which are called the Dominions, like South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Canada. Their descendants and uh, are English. They were born overseas, but they still have a, a, an affinity with the British. So they were regarded as British. And I think it's still happening today. But I think what I can look at is it's a bit on the part of the people themselves in that we had a demonstration about it. I said, that's wrong. So they withdraw that legislation. And people should have taken note that to get yourselves corrected. See, you know, you're living in this country and you're traveling. Get a passport. Get your British citizenship, which I did. And see that my children also are registered. There's somebody at the top should have help these people along that way. Yeah. Looking at the great positives, we're we're always keen to look at the positives of migration and and the contribution that migrants bring to the UK. What would you say uniquely the Caribbean community has brought those that have settled in the UK? Well, they have brought a culture. Remember, we have a culture that's not entirely... Our culture is partly Caribbean, African, and English. Mm. This is quite a mix. And we've brought that into the, into this country. Our food, the way we, we sing, uh, dancing. And if you look at the uh, carnival, and people are enjoying it. Yeah. That's a culture. And it's adopted in some ways by, 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 the, by the British. The music also. At the time, they didn't have this uh, reggae, but they used to call it blue beat, and, and, and the people have their own parties and so on, and people are invading these parties to see how Caribbean people can enjoy themselves, not stiff. I was about to say, probably because everyone's having a good time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So in terms of the Catholic Church now, when we're talking about the Caribbean Catholic chaplaincy, yeah. what do you feel the Caribbean community has brought to the church? Well, if I can go back a little in in my own time, right. Canon Charles Walker was the first chaplain. He's a white person. 
And I reminisce on him because he was there before me. The chaplaincy started in 1974, and I joined it in 1981. And he was telling you that black people, though they're Catholics in the Caribbean, they come over here, they want to go to a Catholic church. Their children could not get into a Catholic school. Black children couldn't get into a Catholic school. You go to church, and you couldn't sit in the front pews. You had to sit at the back. So they feel unwelcome. And that is why you find a lot of black churches where black people can meet together and they do their own thing. Now, some people don't want to change, you know, because they call them uh, Pentecostal churches. They clap their hands and so on. This is how the church had to do something about it because they were losing people. You have a, a wealth of black people in here and they're not coming to the Catholic church. So they sent them on this mission to find out the way black people live, the way they do things. And he find out that they are intelligent people, they can sing, they have musicality, they can enrich the Catholic Church in Britain. Because of that, he had to get permission from the archbishop that he used to go to people's houses to say mass. And you that the children sleeping on the floorboard and he'd step over them to give communion and so on. But they were happy. They were together, singing their type of music. And that is because of racism. And so how do you look at it now, in 2019? Some of it is still there. Let's wind the clock a little bit back now. What we've done also, in that we had a credit union, because, you know, uh, black people couldn't get loans, and banks and so on, and what we did, we formed a, a credit union to prevent them from going to loan sharks. Eventually, I became also the president of the credit union. Where people can save, you save your own money, and you borrow. And it was low interest rate. And the credit union wound up about 2001 or two because we weren't getting enough people to come in to run it. By law, you have to have people there to yeah. take these positions. So what's the situation now? Is, was, is, that must have been a bit of a loss to lose the credit union. Well, it is. It is. But um, eventually, the credit union wasn't only there for Caribbean people or black people. Africans, they were also dispossessed. Mm. So we had the chaplaincy. They were all also part of the chaplaincy. And then we have the Irish with us as well. So it's open not only to Caribbean, but Catholic people as a whole. So we're kind of a broad-minded set of people. So you've been serving in the Caribbean Catholic chaplaincy, as is now, for... It's 1981, years. Coming up to 40 years, yeah. Mm. What a contribution, Lloyd. Mm. Amazing. Do you think we're in a positive place now? You know, despite the awful things, like the Windrush scandal of last year, do you think, on the whole, it's a positive situation where we're nicely integrated with one another, can see the, the benefits and the positives and share our cultures with one another. Is it positive as far as you're concerned? I hope so. Going around and looking at some of these priests, some would welcome you and some wouldn't. Because if you look in the church now, I'm not talking necessarily of racism. Some churches uh, welcome you because uh, the thing is a diversity. You know, you have the Latin Americans, the Africans now, Nigerians, they have the Caribbean, 
And they were more welcome to the Caribbean because we speak English and the others speak their own language. And some are telling you they don't want that sort of language in their church. Mm. Got to speak English. And that's going on today in uh, 2019. So there's a way to go still. <laughs> Quite a long way to go. And Lloyd, finally, do you still have people coming over from the Caribbean that seek out the chaplaincy and want to join? Or is it sort of an older generation? Well, most of our people are older generations and they're dying out. We're trying to get a new and younger ones to come in, but it's a difficult proposition. Let me tell you a little story. One of the bishops told me um, he was visiting a um, secondary school and he talks to the children and this young black boy was a server. And you have the parishioners, you know, it's a mixture of black and white. And when they said, your father, you do the greeting, peace be unto you, and they hug and peace. And when he finished, he met the woman in the street and he said, hello, how are you? And she ignored him and told him something a little bit nasty. So from then, he doesn't want to come back to the Catholic Church. He's going to one of these black churches where he can meet his own people and they can do their own thing together. Mm. And this wasn't so long ago. This is, in, this is in the 21st century. Tell us about the annual pilgrimage. We go to Aylesford every year where we invite everybody to come. It's a day we spend there with a Caribbean mass. We do the benediction and we do the, the rosary. And added to that now we do a, a reflection. Sounds good. When is that, Lloyd? That's going to be on the 28th of uh, July this year. It used to be the first Sunday of August, but it's been changed now to the last Sunday of July every year. And that's down in Aylesford? Aylesford, yes. And can people just turn up, or do they need to register their interest? We we send out leaflets to our coach organisers in the areas, and they put that in the church, and you look on the leaflet, and you tell you the the nearest coach to your destination. So you phone them, and they will tell you what time the coach is leaving and how how the cost of the coach, and then you come down there and spend the day. Sounds good. And finally, in terms of the Caribbean Catholic chaplaincy, if somebody wants to get in touch, is there a phone number? Is there a way of contacting the chaplaincy? Yes. Contact me. My phone number is 0208-675-0607. Excellent. Lloyd, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.